Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our statement of faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making Him known. Good morning. So there was this uh, older couple... And I didn't prepare a joke this morning. I totally forgot about it. And on the way in, I'm thinking, I can't let Frank get away with the good ones he's had for the last couple of weeks. So let's see how this one goes. So there's an older couple. And uh, they have uh, decided, they're retired, and their memory is slipping a little bit. So they decide they're going to go and take a memory class. And so they go off to this memory class, and they have a really good time, and they come back. And one of their friends comes to them comes to the, to the husband and says, so, tell me about this class. He says, well, we use what's known as word association to remember those things that are important in our lives. And he goes, that sounds really interesting. What's the name of the class? He goes, well, let me show you how this works. There, what's that flower? It's got some thorns, usually red. It uh, smells really good. And his friend said, rose. He said, that's right. Rose, what was the name of that class that we took? <laughs> I thought that was cute. <laughs> he thinks I'm making him look good with that. I don't know. I laughed. That's all that's important. <laughs> well, today, uh, Father's Day is a special day. We're going to take a little pause from our uh, study in the book of Philippians and do kind of a special Father's Day message. But I want to start off today by acknowledging that this has been a difficult, tough few weeks for me. Uh, We had decided to have our floors refinished after living in our house for over 18 years, uh, three kids, five dogs, countless mishaps. And so the floors, like my body and my psyche, have taken a number of bumps, dings, scratches, and in most places the finish was worn completely off. As I said, much like me. In order to accomplish this task, it required us to move all the furniture in our house, including emptying every closet. This was the source of great consternation as we got to see all the clutter and the stuff that we've accumulated over many years. Anyone who knows me knows that I don't like to keep unneeded stuff. Just ask Leslie, because I try to toss just about everything in the church that I'm looking at. And I think that sometimes she's afraid if she sits around too long and too still, I might try to take her off to the dumpster. 
So the task of going through all this stuff was daunting. And I encourage you, do it sometime. Just empty a closet and see what's buried in there. I do think that going through all of this, though, that I recognize that Noah has an issue. He may, in fact, be a hoarder. He had more boxes of stuff than all of the rest of us combined. Old school project, knickknacks. And this is a thing that didn't make any sense to to me. Empty shoeboxes that somehow had more value just because they were shoeboxes. I just didn't understand that. So now the floors are redone and which, by the way, Mike Brott did a great job. And I texted him afterwards, and I said, Hey, Mike, the floors look great. How do I keep them clean? He texted immediately back, said, Don't walk on them. (laughs) Thanks for that godly wisdom, Mike. So now all the furniture is out of the rooms, the floors are done, and for some reason we decide, well, let's just go ahead and paint some walls. Uh, It it just is crazy how things just kind of take on a life of their own. I also happen to mention that it was the last week of school, and so the kids were finishing up their school, regent tests are being taken, everybody wants to go in a different direction, and certainly dad can do it because, hey, he works half a day on Sunday, so no problem. So you can imagine that for just about anybody else, this might have been a stressful time. But certainly not for me. I have it all together. My focus is clear. My purpose is absolute. My nerves, steady and true. Yeah, not quite. I walked right into the trap that Satan had set before me. I lost my patience. I skewed my focus and was anything other than absolute in my purpose. It makes today's message even all that more important to me. So first of all, Tracy, Noah, Sydney, and Chloe, I am sorry. (laughs) I have been impatient and I have been harsh at times. Please forgive me and with God's grace, I will do better. Thank you. So let's pray. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, that we have this opportunity to come together, to open up your word and to hear what you have to say. I thank you, Father, for each father who is here and each one of us, Lord, we all have a father. Whether we knew that father, whether that father was absent, Father, whether that earthly father was one who was there for us or maybe there was very deep pain associated. Father, I just ask that you, our heavenly Father, would just shine through your word this morning. I ask that your love for us would become so evident and so clear and so palpable that we could not deny that you are, as the song said, a good, good father. And so, Lord, I just thank you for what you're going to accomplish. Now, Lord, I just ask that I would be emptied of myself and you, Holy Spirit, would fill me from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet. Lord, we need to hear from you and not from me. And so, Lord, I ask that my lips would just be touched by the coal and the words that I would speak would be words of life because they are yours. And so, Lord, we just give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there's a lot that we could speak about this morning. 
for the time that we have, I wanted to look at our biblical responsibility as fathers. And John, if you could put up Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I think most of us know that scripture by heart, and it's often quoted. Usually the context to this sharing of this Bible verse is talking to somebody who has a wayward child. child was raised in the church, they went to Sunday school, and now they're a full member of the party-hardy crew, drugs, sex, and rock and roll. And in a well-meaning way, we'll often quote this proverb as if to soothe the pain of the parent for their son or daughter. We're effectively telling the parent, don't worry, your child will return to the Lord soon. You train them up in the church and it's going to be okay. Question is, is that true? Is that really what this proverb is saying? Train up your child in the Bible, in church, in the rules, and whatever, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. If you've ever been the parent of a wayward child, you'll say, well, when will they be considered old? Because right now, they're pretty departing. You see, I don't think that this is what the proverb is saying at all. This isn't supposed to be a comfort to the parent of a prodigal who's off gallivanting around the world as if to say, there, there, just wait, he'll come back. Instead, I believe that this is a warning. Train up the child in the way that they should go or they will find their own way to go. Last week, I spent a few days in Syracuse at a training for my role as the Gilderland police chaplain. While there, I met a cantor who had been the police chaplain for a department in Massachusetts for a long time. For those of you who don't know what a cantor is, John put up that picture. He's a Jewish leader who sings, leads the the congregation in singing and in prayer. He was a really nice guy. We spent the evening before the conference began chatting along with other police officers from across the Northeast. We had lunch together the first day, and when the conference was over that first day, he asked if I wanted to join him for dinner. So we shared a table at Delmonico's in Syracuse. In our conversation, he asked me how many members of the Gilderland Police Department we had. I responded, 36. He had a smile on his face. He said, in Judaism, that was a lucky number because it was twice the number 18 or the number of life. I said, right, hi, He said, say that again? I said, hi. He looked at me quizzically and he asked me, and he said, it's really unusual for a non-Jew to be able to get the guttural utterance properly. When I told him that I was raised in a Jewish home, this was very funny, he looked at me and goes, well, I didn't really want to say anything, but you do look Jewish. So I had told him that I had gone to shul or synagogue since I was, uh, well, even before I was born. I had been bar mitzvahed and I celebrated the Jewish festivals with my family. Now, here was the interesting thing. What do you think his next question to me was? Actually, not what happened to me. I've been trying to figure it out. Yes. You, just, 
<laughs> That's your question every day. Yeah, how'd this happen? Yeah. Actually, his first question to me was, is your mother Jewish? Because he actually wanted to know whether, in fact, I was considered to be a real Jew as the Jewish lineage comes through the mother. It was interesting. Then he asked the next most important question. What do you think that question was? Not what happened, right? How did your parents respond? This guy was really respectful and went out of his way to tell me that my decision to follow Christ was certainly okay with him. This, of course, was in between him telling me that for the really conservative and orthodox, I would be considered apostate, but that was completely his side. But let's talk about that question that he asked me for a second. How did my parents respond? Well, I would say, I think they would say, not really well. Now, I don't blame them for this because the truth is is that I don't think I handled it very well either. Now, the cool thing is, and I will tell you that all these years later, they're here joining us this morning. And even though they flew in from California last night, my father's not feeling well, they really wanted to be here. And I think that that is a testament to the fact that we now have the best relationship that we've ever had my entire life. And I think that they would agree as well. So the point about this not being, or the initial part of this conversation not going well, is actually okay. So hang on. At one point early on, though, I was having an argument with my father, and I don't know if he remembers this. I can't even remember exactly what it was that we were arguing about, but I think it must have been something that I or he had said to my children, and out of anger, I had said in not such a clean way, I'm not going to let you mess up my kids the way that you messed me up. Yeah, that was not good right? But here's the amazing thing. My father, without missing a beat, said, you're absolutely right. You will find your own way to mess them up. (laughs) The funny thing is, is biblical truth was actually spoken to me by my father that very day. It's taken me a while to understand it. But I believe that Proverbs 22 was spoken to me in a radically different and very impactful way that day. Again, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. I think there's two powerful lessons here. Number one, the scripture does not say to train up a child in the way that I want him to go. Fathers, I implore you to listen to me. Your child is not your second chance to get your childhood right. The wisdom that my father spoke to me was that if our goal was to ensure that our children have a different experience than we had growing up, 
If we're trying to control the outcome, then we will inevitably wind up in the exact same place we reasoned that we were never going to be. Said another way, if you feel like your father failed you because he didn't give you something that you needed, so now you're going to make sure that your child has what you missed and you think that that's going to fix the problem, you're wrong. You'll just take a different path to the same outcome, a broken relationship. Raising your child is not about you. Number two, the scripture does not tell us to train our children to be good little Christian kids. I know coming from the pulpit, this is going to sound kind of strange, but the goal is not to have kids who are able to recite 500 Bible verses from memory, who can say the books of the Bible backwards and forwards and demonstrate great theological understanding. Not that any of this is bad. But here's one of the things that the cantor said to me as I shared my testimony with him. He said to me that I had received bad teaching from my rabbi and from my Hebrew school teachers. That my desire for a relationship with God that I could not find in the temple did have an answer in the extra biblical writings of the rabbis. He then said a remarkable statement to me. He said, if you had good teaching, you'd still be a Jew. Later on that evening, in further discussion of our families and our lives, he actually admitted to me that he had serious doubts of the existence of God at all. So here's this conservative cantor who just hours ago was telling me that it was my failure of knowledge of the writings of the rabbis that led me to turn my back on being a Jew. Now admitting that he wasn't even sure that there was a God. Now, this cantor certainly had more knowledge than I ever could about Judaism, and yet it didn't hold him up well in his faith. The wisdom of Proverbs is not about training up Christian automatons. So then you say, hey, Jeff, you're talking a whole lot about what this is not about. How about we talk about what it is? Thanks for asking. So again... (laughs) We have train up a child in the way that he should go. The way that he should go. See that? The way he should go. So the question is, what is that way? And perhaps even more importantly, if it's not me who determines that way as their father, then who is it? And those are great questions. So let's look at the second question first. Who should determine the way our children go? Let me ask you another question. Whose children are they? God's. Isaiah 44 says, Thus says says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who made all things. Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Galatians 1.15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. So God has made it clear in his word that our children are not ours. They are his. He formed them. 
He knows them. He has plans for them. And by the way, he can do all of that much better than you or I can. So God determines the way that we should go, the way that they should go. God formed our children with his thumbprint upon them. It's our responsibility to see that thumbprint and raise up our children to live their life according to his plan for them. If we're to understand what our greatest responsibility is as parents to train up our children, I think we need to take a serious look at one of my favorite scriptures. John, if you can put it up. Deuteronomy 6.5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your might. This scripture is made even the more remarkable when you realize when the, when the Pharisee was trying to trap Jesus and asked him what the greatest commandment was, we see this in Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, of course it was a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, that is Jesus, and saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. This is so cool to me. Because Jesus is effectively saying to these, uh, the Pharisees, I'm going to quote myself. Right? In case you missed it the first time, I'm going to tell you all about it. But I think so often, as this, the uh, Pharisees had missed what the greatest commandment is, I think we do as well. So I want to take a look at Deuteronomy 6 in its context. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, it starts off, as I've shared with you before, with the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign upon your hands and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. I just love this scripture. Teach this greatest commandment diligently to your children. What is it that they're supposed to teach them? That we are supposed to teach our children? To love God with all of our heart all of our soul, and all of our might. We need them. We need to teach our children God's commands. And how are we called to teach them? Scripture says that we need to teach them diligently. Merriam-Webster defines diligent as characterized by steady, earnest, and energetic effort. So let me ask you, what are you most steady earnest, and energetic in doing? Maybe it's your work. 
Maybe you're steady, earnest, and energetic at fishing. How about at binge-watching your favorite show on Netflix? Perhaps you're steady, earnest, and energetic at coaching Little League. But here's the question. How many of us are steady, earnest, and energetic about teaching our children about God's command to love him rightly? I'm sure if you're like me, when your children are misbehaving, you'll be earnest and energetic, although I'm not sure very steady. So here's the challenge. If we're to teach our children to love God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, and with all of our might or our strength, what does that mean? Set an example. That's a good one. I want to take a look at each of these attributes of loving God. Love God with all of our heart. I propose that loving God with all of our hearts is a self-sacrificial love. John, can you put up John 15, 13? There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus is telling us that there is no greater love. No greater act of self-sacrifice has ever been performed than Jesus carrying the 300-pound cross on his badly beaten back down the Via Della Rosa to Golgotha to be hammered to the cross for your sins and mine. He was innocent. And yet he took that upon himself that you and I would know what John 3.16 is all about. For God so loved the world, so loved that he was willing to sacrifice himself, that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you do not know this love, May you come to know it. May you come to experience today that you should pass from death to eternal life in him. And I also have to tell you that without knowing this love, the truth is you cannot love rightly. Let me say that again. If you are not in his love, you cannot love. For love is sacrificial And as Frank has said so often, the Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. It's a supernatural life. And we can only be sacrificial with the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, it is selfishness. Real love requires the power to be sacrificial and no greater love, if we love with all of our hearts, then there will be no greater expression than us to be self-sacrificing for the others that God places before us. First and foremost, our families. John, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know, we like to share this. We talk about husbands' responsibilities. We kind of stop. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. 
Because that seems to be, okay, well, I think I can, might, might be able to do that as a husband. Yeah. And gave himself up for her. That's the part that's hard. Right? That's the self-sacrifice. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife truly loves himself. Love is not about me. How are you doing about being sacrificial? Now, I'm not saying being a doormat. That's not biblical. I'm talking about not forcing your own way. Next is to love God with all of our soul. And I believe that when we love God with all of our souls, we love humbly. John, keep up 1 Corinthians. Here we go. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Here, Paul gives us a whole lot of knots about what love is not. And what Paul is doing here is painting a picture of what is really the antithesis of humility. What he's doing is he's calling out all the attributes of pride and arrogance and self-service. When stripped away, we are left with a humble heart, a heart that is ready, willing, and able to love God with all of our soul. And finally, we're called to love God with all of our might or all of our strength. And I think to love God with all of our strength is to love God courageously. John. I now believe that God desires for every father to courageously step up and do whatever it takes to be involved in the lives of his children. But more than just being there, providing for them, he's to walk with them through their young lives and be a visual representation of the character of God, their Father in heaven. The Father should love his children and seek to win their hearts. He should protect them, discipline them, and teach them about God. He should model how to walk with integrity and treat others with respect. And should call out his children to become responsible men and women who live their lives for what matters in eternity. Some men will hear this and mock it, or ignore it. But I tell you that as a father, you are accountable to God for the position of influence he has given you. You can't fall asleep at the wheel only to wake up one day and realize that your job or your hobbies have no eternal value, but the souls of your children do. Some men will hear this and agree with it, but have no resolve to live it out. Instead, they will live for themselves and waste the opportunity to leave a godly legacy for the next generation. But there are some men 
who regardless of the mistakes we've made in the past, regardless of what our fathers did not do for us, will give the strength of our arms and the rest of our days to loving God with all that we are and to teach our children to do the same. And whenever possible, to love and mentor others who have no father in their lives, but who desperately need help and direction. And we are inviting any man whose heart is willing and courageous to join us in this resolution. In my home, the decision has already been made. You don't have to ask who will guide my family, because by God's grace, I will. You don't have to ask who will teach my son to follow Christ, because I will. Who will accept the responsibility of providing and protecting my family? I will. Who will ask God to break the chain of destructive patterns in my family's history? I will. Who will pray for and bless my children to boldly pursue whatever God calls them to do? I am their father. I will. I accept this responsibility and it is my privilege to embrace it. I want the favor of God and his blessing on my home. Any good man does. So where are you men of courage? Where are you fathers who fear the Lord? It's time to rise up and answer the call that God has given to you and to say, I will, I will, I will. I was going to try to do that. I just figured the video did it better than I could. <laughs> we can only teach our children the way that they should go. And that is to love God with all of their hearts, all of their souls, and all of their might. When we ourselves are able to love God in that same way. My challenge today is this. Love God sacrificially with all of your heart. Love God humbly with all of your soul. And love God courageously with all of your might. Then men, love your wives and your children sacrificially, humbly, and courageously. And then you too, like those men, can stand up and say, I will. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to share that you are a God who loves us and calls us to love you with all of our hearts, all of our souls, and all of our might. And you call us, Lord, that that commandment to love you will be implanted in our hearts. It'll be entirely who we are. Father, I ask for those of us who call upon your name, that, Lord, you would strengthen us and encourage us. You would convict us where necessary. And, Lord, you would walk by our side as we walk out this love of you. For those, Lord, who do not know you, I just ask that your love would penetrate their hearts right now. 
Their eyes would be open. The scales would fall from their ears. And they'd recognize that you are the God who created them. You are the God who desires that they spend eternity with you. That you have opened a door and a way. But that path is narrow. And it is through the cross. Let that truth penetrate their hearts this day. And Father, for all of us, as we think about our fathers this day, Lord, let there be great thanksgiving in our hearts, even, Lord, where it's difficult and it's challenging. Let us still be thankful that you are a good father. Just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.